Hey everyone, uh, we'll start on top of the hour and in the meantime, feel free to check out the um, in the chat uh, the lab website and also the article uh, our guest speaker will be discussing and on top is pinned the PDF file um, for the slides that uh, Dr. Talbot will use uh, for the presentation. So, And feel free to share the room you think this is really interesting i think it's really interesting um to have this collaboration of or neurons also uh, being able to perform immune surveillance i think that's really interesting and a new field so um will be a really interesting talk so yeah thanks for coming Hi. Hello. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice today. How's it going? 
okay not sure if the app is working okay <laughs> Hey everyone, uh, we will start shortly and um, in the meantime feel free to um, read the paper that I shared in the chat and also um, the lab website. Our guest speaker will be here. Uh, he's texting me, so let me give the link here. Hi. Hey. Oh, there you are. Perfect, Sebastian. How are you? Do you hear me? Can... Yes, yes. Oh, fantastic. Sorry about that. Oh, don't worry. Um, I've posted the link on top so you should be able everyone should be able to access it and thank you so much for coming um that's perfect it's right on time so uh yeah if everyone is ready we can slowly start i know people will still be even coming in so uh but we can start with introduction and and so on so um so welcome everyone to science society and a special welcome to you, Sebastian. Um, before we start, I'll give uh, the audience a short introduction so that they learn a little bit uh, about you. And, um, and then we go from there. So, uh, and let me, <laughs> I'm sorry, let me really quick share on Twitter that you were here. and um okay perfect sorry about that <laughs> okay so um dr sebastian uh, talbot he is a tenured associate professor at the department of Bio biomedical and molecular sciences at queen's university and um he did his uh, bachelor in pharmacology at the university of sherbrooke in canada and um, later on his PhD in physiology at the University of Montreal, also in Canada. And um, then he did his, he did an internship in Brazil, actually, at the um, Pontifical um, Catholic University of Rio. Um, and uh, then he did his postdoc at Boston Children's Hospital in the US. And um, 
he won many awards and fellowships, <laughs> really a lot. And um, so Young Investigator Award, the, the most recent one was the Efferescence Star Award uh, from Gilead Sciences and Montreal in vivo in 2021. Um, yeah, before uh, we start with the presentation, we usually ask like a, a couple of interview questions. So uh, first of all, again, welcome. Thank you for coming. And if you could like let us know what motivated you or brought you to science like to choose like a life in science was it something maybe you always wanted to do or i don't know a class or a book or whatever the story is uh thank you so much sure <clears throat> thank you uh, thank you katarina for the invitation um good afternoon or good night to to everyone uh online this is this is great to be here um yeah, so what brought me to science? Good question. I guess um, I had a friend that was slightly older than me, uh, a neighbor, and uh, uh, my family bought us some of these chemistry sets like that you do at home, right, with the little microscope and whatnot. And we built our little lab in my basement, and from there we started to do very basic experimentation, uh, which really uh, I thought was quite exciting, using the microscope and seeing what's happening, uh, you know, in, in <clears throat> basically whatever on leaf or, or on the grass or, uh, you know, in the garden. And that really, uh, I thought it was quite exciting and that really sparked my curiosity to, to do science. And from there, I actually never looked back. So from when I was, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, all the way to, to now, I, I never actually looked back and I just continued to be excited about um, studying new things and yeah that, that brought me here now well that's really interesting it was very similar for me like my father he was a, a physics and chemistry teacher mm -hmm. in high school and he brought me home also um microscopes and chemistry sets the only difference is that i always just put things together that were written on never mix dangerous <laughs> <laughs> at some point my father took it away because it was getting too dangerous <laughs> everything else was just written what will happen so it was yeah. so boring i wanted to know what will happen why do they say it's dangerous <laughs> so... yeah, yeah 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 no i get that <laughs> actually um, the, the same thing happened we 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 had those uh camcorder right to do like video uh back in the days the big one right and uh, my father actually found some some of the some of our recording of our experiment. He was like, "No, no, you need to stop this because you're going to set the house on fire." So, uh, so that was uh, yeah. So we, we needed to uh, uh, change a little bit the kind of experiment we're doing. So, quite similar, I guess. Well, it's the curiosity of just figuring out what people don't tell us what they already know. I guess I don't know. Maybe that's it. Um, yeah, and then from there, uh, how did you come about to do this really, really interesting and novel um, research project? If you could take us there, maybe there's an interesting background story. Sometimes, you know, exciting projects like this, people didn't believe you or did they believe you? Was it easy to get funding? 
um, yeah, if you could share a sure. little bit of a background. So back in the PhD, I was doing neurominology and studying basically diabetic pain. And so it was spinal cord and microglia. Then I moved to, to Boston to do my postdoc where I started to do neurominology, but in periphery where we used to uh, look at now nociceptor control, uh, airway inflammation. So it was in the context of asthma. And um, so we published our first paper back in 2015 and kind of to start in my own line of research, eventually the idea was to move to be, uh, to have my, my, my own lab. So I, I saw a paper in science and, and they publish that every year, basically the discovery of the year, right? In science. And one of them was about um, immune checkpoint blocker and how it was changing um, cancer treatment. And then I asked my PI if I could um, look at whether neuron play a role in this. And then that's what started the project. So we started in 2014. It took quite a long time to get everything together for the publication. Um, and I, I, I think people were actually excited about it from the start. So, so it was quite hard to publish, but to get the funding and I think people were supportive of the idea, right? So I don't, I, I, I think, I think it was not that controversial, right? Um, and so, so that was, that was okay. It was just a, a long journey to, to, to get it published. Um, and yeah, yeah, basically. So, so that was the science breakthrough paper of the year, 2013. And actually uh, an investigator uh, at Albert Einstein University, <clears throat> uh, Paul Frenette, which uh, recently passed, unfortunately, uh, had really cool a paper in science where it was looking at the role of adrenergic neuron, so not sensory neuron, but adrenergic neuron in prostate cancer. And so, so putting the disc, that, that discovery of the year paper and, and, and the work of, of, of uh, Paul Frenette, we, we, we thought that it could be a cool thing to look at sensory neuron in cancer. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And um, it's, you know, really exciting. I don't know if you read, but in the recent Nature um, a journal, um, there was, you know, an article about that um, the really groundbreaking um, publications and research is declining constantly. I um, saw that. Yes, I really. Yeah. Yeah. So congratulations. And what do you think? If that's okay, if I can ask you ahead of time. What oh, do you yeah. think is the problem? Because you don't have the problem, but <laughs> you know. Well, no, I, you know, uh, no, I, I, I saw the research. I read the paper. Um, I guess what the paper is arguing that whatever research is published now, which whichever journal is less impactful or or less disruptive, right? So, so basically, what it says is like even if you publish in. Um, let's say I impact journal is just the consequences is less, less impactful for, for, for the society. And what, I, I don't know what, why, why it would be like that or why the research in general is at less or, or, or produce less changes in the society or less drugs or less, less. Um, I'm not quite sure what's the reason for that. Maybe the, 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 the you know, I don't know, <laughs> maybe the main, I don't want to say that, but, 
um, maybe maybe some of the key mechanism have been you know unraveled and people have created drug to target them so maybe maybe that's one of the thing maybe the low-hanging fruit or the or which you know the discovery that produced the most impact and maybe the the, the the easiest has been found and maybe that's why the the consequences of this research has produced more um impact in, in the society and 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 how we move from here to there to produce more impact for research that's a great question unfortunately i don't really have a great insight on that really uh, we know that's more and more difficult to get drugs accepted by the fdas um so yeah, yeah. that's a that's a great question actually i, I don't know i don't know how we i move, mean my personal experience is that the things i really would like to do i don't i didn't get funding for and right. the things that are kind of eh, okay you know it's the obvious next step to do those right. you know get funded and i think that's also a big reason yeah that you, no yeah you're 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 definitely and then the yeah. pharma companies are not are pretty much the same probably like low risk but i feel like actually from asian countries from china there's a lot of stuff coming out that is kind of surprising and pretty cool and but anyways it's a very long discussion <laughs> I <guess. laughs> no i mean it's, it's a cool discussion to have though and i think you're probably right where uh, funding is more lower lower risk lower reward probably is is one of the uh, one of the reasons for that right so, yeah and yeah. i don't feel like that the nih program offices are the problem when you write them they say oh my god this is amazing you should apply for this high risk grant <laughs> and then it gets totally taken apart by the follow like by <laughs> other researchers that say oh who are you to say this basically uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. no it's not necessarily the nih people it's more us i don't know yeah, we're, I think. We're, we're tearing each other up yeah probably that's true yeah maybe yeah, 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 i yeah. don't know yeah. But anyways, uh, this was a great pre-discussion. Thank you for that. And now the stage is yours. The presentation uh, link is uh, on top of the room. So please, everyone, feel free to access it. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. So um, should I open my camera or is it just chat? Oh, or is yeah, there... it's just everyone will open this by themselves. So um, if you could but... just say when you switch slides. Um, to tell people okay, to switch. Yep. So, so it's mostly audio, right? There's not like um, video. Yeah, exactly. No video. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Yeah. And um, let me click on the slide. Yeah. So um, yeah. And guys, feel free to interrupt anytime. I think the idea is just to chat about the work, right? So if there's anything unclear, feel free to, to interrupt me. I think I have about um, 30 minutes. Of, of, of slides. So um, thanks everyone to be here. Uh, thanks uh, Katerina to, 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 to invite me. So today I'm gonna briefly uh, introduce our work on nociceptor neuron um, effect on cancer immunosurveillance. So if we pass on the slide number two, I'm gonna briefly introduce what are immune checkpoint receptor. So to activate the immune system against danger, antigen presenting cell provide co 
and key co-stimulatory signal to activate T cell to mount immune responses against bacteria and viruses. When those immune responses needs, you know, when the, 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 the inflammation needs to be resolved, so when we need to stop the activation of the immune system against, let's say, the, those, uh, those bacteria and viruses, the same antigen-presenting cell provide co-inhibitory signal to stop the activation of the T cell. This is really important. Otherwise, um, those T cells could probably lead to, to, you know, they would stay activated and that could probably lead to uh, autoimmune responses. <clears throat> so the way those uh, antigen-presenting cells provide those inhibitory signals is they use actually uh, a ligand present on the surface of, their, uh, on the, uh, of the APCs and those ligands are called immune checkpoint ligand, and they activate receptor on the T, on the T cell, which are called immune checkpoint uh, receptors. So the ligands bind on the receptor of the T cell, and that stop the activation the activation of the T cell. If we pass on slide number three, the consequences of the activation of those immune checkpoint receptor is T cell exhaustion. What does that mean? Is that the T cell will eventually lead or lose a capacity to produce cytotoxic molecule. They will lose the capacity to proliferate. They will lose the capacity to, uh, to produce IL-2. So first, lose capacity to proliferate, lose the capacity to produce IL-2, and eventually they lose capacity to produce cytotoxic molecules. So the T cell will actually be, begin to be uh, what we call quiescent. So they won't, they will, you know, it's not really apoptosis of the T cell, but they will be, uh, they will be there, but uh, not activated. If we pass on slide number four, and this is what we actually chat uh, during the introduction, is that um, what people realize is uh, that uh, tumor cells are, are able to take advantage of this mechanism. So basically, uh, tumor-specific T cell, upon the constant pressure of the immune system, will start expressing immune checkpoint ligands. So the tumor cells receive the pressure of the immune system that eventually want to kill uh, to kill them and so the tumor cell want to adapt so they start expressing those immune checkpoint ligands and the immune checkpoint ligands will bind on the receptor of the t cell and stop their activation <coughs> so what oncologists uh, realize is that if you block either the receptor or the ligand using specific antibody you're able to prevent uh, the exhaustion of the T cell, and you're able to safeguard the activity of the T cell against the tumor. And that really um, lead to uh, more, uh, to smaller tumor, right? And uh, that really increases survival of, uh, of patients. And that really transformed the treatment of many cancer, including melanoma. And this is what we see in the, in the graphic on the right. So if we pass on slide number five, um, so there's not only the immune system that helps to, um, to protect the organism, there's also the nervous system, right? And when you looked at both systems, both the nervous and the immune system, you realize that they function in a quite similar manner. They will detect danger, integrate and process the information, generate a memory of the insult. They will uh, produce effector responses that can be local or systemic that will target the resolution of the inflammation. So both the immune and nervous system, they function quite uh, the same way and they actually uh, want to um, detect danger and protect the homeostasis and when you looked at both systems uh, they have their pros and their cons for instance the immune system oh, sorry slide number six so the immune system is highly mobile and highly specialized however it has a slow response time while the nervous system allows for a very quick transfer of the information however it has a fixed organization and it's much less diverse 
So from this, we realize that the immune system and nervous system are actually highly complementary. So then on slide number seven, I'm going to briefly introduce what are nociceptors. So nociceptors, they are a subtype of sensory neuron that are specialized in detecting environmental danger. They do that by expressing specific ion channel receptor on their surface that will detect these different types of danger. If we looked on the, uh, on the, the, the sensory nervous system here, um, there's a molecule called TRPV1 that is specialized in detecting noxious heat. So uh, when uh, there's noxious heat, you activate TRPV1, TRPV1 being an ion channel that will lead to the opening of the ion channel and that will lead to the influx of cation inside of uh, the sensory neuron. And that will lead to the generation of an action potential that travel from the periphery to the brain. And that generate, uh, you know, uh, an avoidance uh, responses, which we call uh, uh, the, the withdrawal responses. So basically you activate your sensory neuron, there's a feedback loop uh, inside the spinal cord that will lead to uh, withdrawal reflexes. There's also electrical signal that goes to the brain and there's the perception of pain. So sensory neuron detect those danger, as I mentioned, using a diverse uh, ion channel receptor. The key one are TRIP-V1, TRIP-A1, TRIP-M8, and piezo 2 uh, TRIP-V1 being the detection of heat, TRIP-M8 the detection of cold, and piezo 2 uh, mechanical pressure or noxious mechanical pressure. If we go on slide number eight, uh, uh, this is about neurogenic inflammation. So what happened is when you activate, as I mentioned, those ion channel receptor, you generate action potential that travel from the, from the periphery to the brain. There's the perception of pain, but those electrical signal, uh, they can also travel anthrodromically, so back to the periphery. And that will lead to the local release of neuropeptides. And these neuropeptides have diverse action. If we looked on the right uh, of the slide, you will see that these neuropeptide will act on capillaries. They will increase the blood flow of these capillaries. They will increase the vasodilatation uh, in these capillaries. That will also lead to the, uh, or increase the chemotaxis of immune cells. Eventually those neuropeptide will loosen the tight junction of the capillaries and that will lead to the local, you know, the, the, the extravasation of these immune cells. And that really put immune cells in very close vicinity with sensory neurons. And that will allow the crosstalk between uh, the sensory neuron and the immune cell. So there's really a local crosstalk between the two. And this is due to, uh, to uh, neurogenic inflammation. So if we pass on slide number nine, neurogenic inflammation, you know, it has been studied in various, uh, various, various, um, context, one of which, as I mentioned during my postdoc, we're looking at it in asthma. And one of the question is, or one of the unanswered question is, is neurogenic inflammation can also play a role during cancer? And, um, and we, we thought it would be an interesting question because it has been very, uh, it has been appreciated for a very long time that actually tumor are innervated, but we're not quite aware of the role of this innervation. So here you see a, a GXMED paper basically from 1897 that shows that a skin carcinoma is, uh, is innervated by, uh, by uh, different types of neuron. We don't know exactly what types of neuron because the, the, the paper is very old, but so, so it's been very long appreciated that tumor are innervated. We're unaware of the role of this innervation. And we thought that via neurogenic inflammation, maybe the neuron could cross talk with the immune system and uh, that could be uh, an interesting question.
So if we look at slide number 10, this is basically a cancer research review that shows that neurons, not necessarily sensory neurons, but neurons in general, could have potentially diverse role in cancer, right? Uh, it has been um, hypothesized that neurons could directly control cancer cell tumors, uh, cancer cell growth. They could potentially control neoangiogenesis. They could, they, they were hypothesized that they would control inflammation, so directly act on the immune system. And uh, there's some paper actually show that cancer cell can use a neuron to metastasize uh, away from uh, the primary site. So basically, um, neuron locally could have uh, diverse function in, 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 in cancer. And we, we choose to study whether neuron could crosstalk with, uh, with the immune cells. So we decided to study this in the context of melanoma, so skin cancer. Uh, we choose skin cancer because, first of all, the skin is very densely innervated by sensory neuron. And uh, I'm not a cancer researcher, so I thought it would be um, easier for us to actually use this model as we can directly just inject cancer cell uh, line inside or uh, intradermally in the mice, and we can fairly easily uh, monitor the growth of the cancer cell. So what we did is we use a very aggressive type of skin cancer, which is called B16F10. We inject it to, to, um, to littermate control as well as nociceptor neuron ablated mice. We let the tumor grow for about 15 to 20 days. We looked at the present of itch or pain in the mouse. After 15 to 20 days, what we do is we harvest the tumor. We use flow cytometry to look at uh, immune cell exhaustion. And we uh, did immune, well, immunohistology to look at uh, whether there's the presence of nerve inside of the tumor. So if we looked on slide number 12, this is our working hypothesis. We had three aims, and this is actually how I build my first grant. So first of all, we ask ourselves, <clears throat> are cancer innervated by nociceptor? Second, we ask ourselves, if those nociceptors are present inside of the cancer, uh, could they locally release neuropeptide? One of the neuropeptides we, uh, we choose to study is called CGRP. So whether this, this, this locally produced CGRP could act on T-cell and increase immune checkpoint receptor expression of T-cell. And if that would be true, that will lead to the exhaustion of the T-cell. And the third question we ask ourselves is, if we ablate those nociceptor neurons or if we block their function pharmacologically, are we able to prevent immune cell exhaustion and therefore have a smaller tumor growth? So this is our, our basically our three aim. I'm going to briefly touch on each of these aims. So first question, if we go on slide number 13, um, are cancer innervated? So if we go on slide 14, we first use um, a melanoma biopsy from patients. And then we stain those, those biopsy using HNE as well as TRPV1. And we uh, basically what we found is in comparison to adjacent intact tissue, uh, the tumor uh, themselves showed higher presence of TRPV1, TRPV1 being a marker of these nociceptor neurons. And then basically what we did is we used the, uh, the clinical charts from the patient and we tried to correlate whether the presence of these TRPV1 neurons or the increased presence of the, these TRPV1 neurons could correlate with um, um, some clinical feature observed in the patient. And what we found is that there's a, it's pretty small here, but I think it's like a 0.6 correlation between the presence of TRPV1 inside the tumor and the increased presence of uh, immune cells inside of the tumor. 
So basically what slide 13, or sorry, 14 showed is that uh, tumor, pa uh, well, tumors from patients are innervated by TRPV1 neurons. Then if we go on slide 15, we ask ourselves, is it also the case in the mouse? So what we did is we use our cancer cell line. So B16F10, in this case, it's EGFP. So it's labeled in green. And we injected this tumor in the, uh, the flank of a mouse, uh, the flank of an NEV1.8 creatinine mouse. So a mouse that basically has uh, all the nociceptor being labeled. In this case, it's like a pink uh, magenta kind of color. And what we found is after 22 days and using iDisco, is that there's a presence of nociceptor neuron in and around uh, the melanoma. So on slide 16, we ask ourselves where, if there's the presence of the nerve inside of the tumor, um, are these nerves actually more sensitive, right? Are, is the cancer cell able to sensitize sensory neuron and cause pain? And to test this, we decided to use calcium microscopy. And so what we did, is we, uh, we harvest nociceptor neuron from the mouse, we culture them in the presence or absence of the cancer cell, and then we load this co-culture with the calcium-responsive dye, which is called FURA2AM. And what we do is we're able to flow different substances on the surface of the neuron and see if they, are, um, if they respond more or less of these different substances. And so we use three different substances, which are, you know, classic, noxious stimuli, ATP, which binds to P2X2 receptor, AITC, which binds to TRPA1, and capsaicin, which binds to TRPV1. And what we did is we use really low level of these noxious stimuli, right? And what we found is that in neuron alone, in the blue, we found that there's very few neurons that respond to those noxious stimuli. However, when the neurons were co-cultured with a cancer cell, we found that they uh, show higher responsiveness to these uh, different noxious stimuli, which would suggest that the presence of cancer cell uh, next to the neuron actually sensitize their response to these uh, various uh, noxious ligands. So if we go on the right of the graph, uh, we ask ourselves whether the presence or absence of cancer cell would sensitize the receptor neuron, but in the mouse. So here what we did is we injected the cancer cell in the left hind part of the mouse. We let the cancer grow for about 14 days. And then we harvest L3 to L5 DRG neurons, so the neuron that actually innervate the INPA. We put them in a dish again, and we did calcium microscopy. And in comparison to the mice that receive keratinocytes, which are uh, non-tumorigenic, we found that the mice that receive the cancer cell, uh, their neuron actually show higher responsiveness to ATP and capsaicin. So both in vivo and in vitro, the presence of cancer cell actually sensitizes the receptor neuron response, not just ligands. So if we go on slide 17, we ask ourselves, how is this happening, right? How cancer cells are sensitizing the response of nociceptor neuron? So to do this, we did a pretty complex triple co-culture uh, experiment where we cultured neuron alone, CD8 T cell alone, or cancer cell alone, and then we co-cultured them uh, with one another. And then we fax purified these cells, and then we did uh, RNA sequencing. And what we found, if, if you look at the, the graph on the right, what we found is when uh, cancer cells are co-culture with uh, neuron and CD8 T cell, they actually overexpress a molecule called SLIPI. And so we thought that would, that was quite interesting because uh, some of our work from postdoc, which was unpublished, 
actually found that Sleepy was a, was a molecule that was inducing pain. So we decided to really look at whether Sleepy, produced by cancer cell, were able to activate sensory neurons. So if we go on slide 18, first of all, we wanted to see, well, is Sleepy actually released by the cancer cell? So then again, we co-culture the cancer cell in the presence or absence of a CD8 T-cell neuron. And we found that when the cancer cells are co-cultured with the neuron in the CD8 T-cell, there's increased release of Sleepy. Then in the, the, the middle panel, we uh, tested whether Sleepy can uh, directly sensitize the receptor neuron. Again, we did a calcium microscopy. And what we found is when you uh, exposed cultured DRG neuron to Sleepy, it was able to induce calcium flux in these neurons. And we found that these neurons that respond to Sleepy were also capsaicin and KCL responsive, which shows or support the idea that these neurons are actually sensory neurons. So if you go on slide 19, we actually uh, bin, bin the, the, the sleepy responsive neuron in, uh, by size, and we found that the sleepy responsive neuron were mostly small to medium size. And as I mentioned, they were mostly capsaicin responsive. Uh, that's what we found in the Venn diagram. Again, supporting the idea that sleepy activate nociceptor neurons. Then finally, we ask ourselves, well, is sleepy directly able to activate nociceptor neuron? Is sleepy able to lead to the release of neuropeptide by these neurons? So to do this, we culture the RG neuron, expose them to Sleepy, and we measure CGRP release. And we found that, yes, Sleepy is able to induce the release of the neuropeptide CGRP. And finally, on the right-hand side of the slide, we ask ourselves, is Sleepy, when injected in vivo, able to induce thermal nociceptive pain? And we found that, yes, it is the case when you inject it in the left hind part of the mice, it induced transient thermal hypersensitivity in the mouse. So if we go on slide 20, so far, basically, what we found is that cancer cells release sleepy, activate nociceptor neuron, nociceptor neuron in response are able to release neuropeptide. And then we ask ourselves, well, is, is the presence of melanoma, not, not just sleepy, is the presence of melanoma able to or increase the release of, of neuropeptide from these nociceptors? So again, co-culture the neuron in the presence or absence of the cancer cell. And if you looked on the, the right-hand side of the slide, we found that when uh, the neuron in blue, they release a little bit of CGRP, but when they are co-culture with the cancer cell in red, we see that there's increased CGRP release from these neurons. So then when we go on slide 21, we finally ask ourselves, is the, is, is, is the presence of the neuron not only act, is the presence of the cancer cell not only sensitize a nociceptor, but is, does it actually modify their, their, uh, their transcriptomic profile? And so to do this, again, co-culture neuron in the presence or absence of nocicept, uh, the, the cancer cell, facts purified them, and uh, we did their any sequencing. And what we found uh, is that when the neuron are co-culture with a cancer cell, there's increased calcium expression inside uh, the neuron, calcium being the gene that encodes for CGRP. <clears throat> so uh, if we go on slide 22, I can just give you a brief summary. What we found is that cancer cells are innervated by nociceptor neuron, both in the mouse and in human. We found that cancer cells secrete, sleepy, activate nociceptor neuron, and that lead to the local release order, the production of CGRP. So because there's a production of CGRP and because we know that CGRP is a very strong 
uh, uh, immunomodulatory neuropeptide, we ask ourselves, is CGRP able to increase the expression of immune checkpoint receptor on CD8 T cell? So if we go on slide 23, we test this in various ways. Uh, for sake of time, I'm only showing the, one of the experiment. But basically what we did is we use a naive mice, we harvest the splenocyte, we harvest, sorry, the naive T cell. We culture those T cell under TC1 inflammatory conditions. So we make those T cell cytotoxic. And basically we expose those T cell uh, to CGRP. Uh, I think it was twice over the course of four days. And then we looked using flow cytometry at the expression of immune checkpoint receptor. And what we found is that in ramp one wild type CD8 T cell, when they are exposed to CGRP, they overexpress or they co-express PD-1 like 3 TIM3, which are three immune checkpoint receptor. We found that this response was absent in ramp one CD8 T cell. And then we looked at the expression of cytotoxic molecule. Uh, here we see on the right panel is interferon gamma. We found that CGRP actually decreased the expression of cytotoxic molecule from CD8 T cell. And again, we found that in ramp one knockout CD8 T cell, this effect is absent. Uh, I'm not sure I, I mentioned it, but RAMP1 being the receptor of CGRP. So basically, culture T cells stimulate them with CGRP. They seems to be uh, exhausted because they co-express PD-1, like 3 and TIM3, and they lose the expression of interferon gamma. So if we go on slide 24, we... Uh, so basically, one of the questions is, whether the, the co-expression of these immune checkpoint receptors, right, it suggests that those T-cells are actually exhausted. But the real test to see if those T-cells are exhausted is to see, are they more or less able to eliminate cancer cells? So what we did is we cultured B16F10 OVA cancer in the presence of an OT1CD8 T-cell. OT1CD8 T-cells are basically T-cells that are engineered to uh, specifically eliminate OVA-expressing cells. And so we, we, we culture those, those cancer cells with, uh, with the OVA-specific CD8 T cell. And we found in the, in the white that after 24 hours, there's about 15 to 20% of the cancer cells that are being eliminated by the, the, by the CD8 T cell. But when you stimulate the co-culture with CGRP, we found that there's a significant decrease in the elimination of the cancer cell by the T cell. So basically taken together, if we go on slide 25, what we found is that CGRP is able to increase immune checkpoint receptor expression on T cell and that decrease their cytotoxic potential. Uh, we found that because they're, they're less able to eliminate the cancer cell. So finally, our third and final question, we ask ourselves, is the presence or absence of the, cancer, uh, the nociceptor would modulate cancer growth in vivo? So then if we go on slide 26, we, we, we first ask ourselves, um, and that was a cool question to ask is, is pain actually preceding immune cell exhaustion in the tumor, right? Can we found that there's thermal hypersensitivity before the development of the T cell exhaustion? So this was a quite long experiment. What we did is we injected the cancer cell in the INPA of the mouse, about, I think it was 120 mouse. And uh, we followed the development of thermal pain hypersensitivity. We followed tumor growth and we followed uh, the development of, um, of immune cell exhaustion inside of the tumor. 
and we sagged the mice pretty much, I think it was every three days. And, and we looked at those different parameters. And what we found is that there's the presence of, of thermal hypersensitivity actually start on day seven uh, after tumor inoculation, while uh, immune cell exhaustion actually start, I think it was day 11 or day 12. So these data actually showed or suggest that um, T-cell exhaustion is actually coming after the development uh, of thermal hypersensitivity. Then on the right-hand side of the graphic, we ask ourselves, and this was done after day 22, so with a big tumor, we ask ourselves, is, is the level of the thermal hypersensitivity can correlate with the uh, T-cell exhaustion inside of the tumor? And what we found is this, there's actually a pretty nice correlation I mean, it's not super, super strong, but 0.55. That what we found is that there's a nice correlation between the development of thermal pain sensitivity and CD8 T cell exhaustion. So basically, high thermal pain, high T cell exhaustion, low thermal pain, uh, low T cell exhaustion. So then, if we go on slide 27, what we did is we uh, we decided to use. Uh, we decided actually to look at whether the presence or absence of the nociceptor would impact tumor growth, right? So we use a nociceptor neuron ablated mice, which is called tribune-1 Cree diptyrotoxin, and we use the littermate control mice, tribune-1 wild-type diptyrotoxin. And then we inoculate the tumor in the flank and we looked at tumor growth. And what we found is that in absence of nociceptor neuron, uh, there's smaller tumor growth, and that the, on the right-hand side, we found that those mice actually uh, survive longer. Then if we go on slide 28, what we did is we harvested uh, the tumor and we looked at the immune cell inside of the tumor. And what we found is that in absence of nociceptor neurons, so in green, uh, the CD8 T cells are more cytotoxic, so they express more interferon gamma. And on the right-hand side, what we found is that those T cells are also, also less exhausted, so there's less co-expression of PD-1, like 3 and TB3. Then if we go on slide 29, we ask ourselves, is this difference in tumor growth actually depend on the immune system? So to answer this question, we use two different, two, two other type of uh, melanoma. A melanoma that is uh, considered to be immunogenic, like the B16F10, basically. So meaning that when you inoculate the tumor, it's known that the immune cells come inside of the tumor and will fight the cancer cells. So it's called Yummer 1.7. And we also use another uh, type of melanoma, which is considered non-immunogenic, meaning when you inoculate the tumor, there's not really immune cells that come to fight the tumor. So in the immunogenic tumor, we found that ablating nociceptor neuron also decreased tumor growth. However, or in contrast, we found that in the non-immunogenic tumor, the presence or absence of the neuron did not impact tumor growth. So on slide 30, now we know that uh, uh, the difference in tumor growth is actually um, dependent on, on the tumor being immunogenic, right? So, so there's an immune response that's created against the tumor. So we ask ourselves, is the defect in tumor growth in absence of neuron depends on the presence of T cell? So to do this, we, uh, we systemically, uh, systemically depleted T cell using anti-CD3 and anti-CD8. And what we found is that when you deplete either CD3 or CD8 T cell, uh, there's no difference in tumor growth, whether you have uh, neuron or not. So these data shows that nociceptor neuron probably control the function of T cell against the tumor, right? So on slide 31, we, we actually went ahead and tested this possibility. 
What we use is a RAG1 knockout mice, so some mice that do not have B or T cell. We inoculated this mouse with the cancer cell. We let the tumor grow to about uh, 500 millimeter cube. Then um, in one group of mice, we ablated nociceptor using RTX, and then we give these mice uh, naive OT1-CD8 T cell. And what we found is that in absence of nociceptor neuron, uh, the OT1-CD8 T cell really uh, decreased uh, tumor growth much more strongly than in the mouse that has intact nociceptor neuron. And in these mice, when you harvest the T cell and you looked at their exhaustion, we found again that when you ablate nociceptor neuron, the OT1-CD8 T cell uh, were uh, less exhausted. Then if we go on slide 33, basically, so we can, we can skip 32, we can go directly on 33. So, so far our data have shown that if you ablate nociceptor neuron, you, you know, either using a, a, a genetic approach or using pharmacology, we see smaller tumor growth. Then we ask ourselves, what would happen if we activate nociceptor neuron? So what happened in the gain of function experiment? So we decided to use uh, optogenetic to activate nociceptor neuron and see if uh, the activation of nociceptor neuron in the tumor would uh, change the way the tumor actually grows. So in this case, we use an NEV1.8 creatinine reps in mice, and we expose the mice or the tumor uh, to a blue light laser uh, once a day for about 20 minutes. And then we looked at tumor growth. If you go on slide 34, we found that in a, in basically um, in mice that were not exposed to the laser in white, there's a, there's a normal tumor growth. However, in the mice that were exposed or were uh, activated with the light, we found higher tumor growth. On the right-hand side of the graph, after we sacrificed the mice, we, uh, we, on day 14, we actually looked uh, whether the activation of nociceptor neuron could increase the local release of neuropeptide, and we found that, yes, it is the case. When you activate nociceptor, when you increase the activation of nociceptor, we found increased CGRT level inside of the tumor. I don't want to take too much time, uh, but I think I'll briefly show the data on slide uh, 36. So then we ask ourselves, uh, can we block those receptor neurons using pharmacology? Uh, to do this, we use a charged lidocaine derivative, which is called QX314. So basically, lidocaine is an highly lipophilic drug, right? It will block uh, all the, the function of all type of neuron, right? It diffuse inside the lipid bilayer of all type of neuron. It go binds and block the function of voltage gated sodium channel and prevent the generation of action potential. QX314 is actually a, a positively charged version of this lidocaine and this positive charge prevent the diffusion of QX314 inside of the nociceptors. So if we looked on slide 37, um, basically, what we ask ourselves is, is there enough ongoing inflammation inside of the tumor to tonically activate trip channels, to tonically activate those nociceptors? So the trip channels would be open, and that would let QX14 enter the nociceptor and block their function. And what we found is when you administer QX, I think it was once a day in and around the tumor, we found that there's smaller tumor growth, and we found that the T cells were less, less exhausted and they were more cytotoxic. Basically, what does that show is that we can use this lidocaine derivative to block locally the function of nociceptor neuron. 
and that would prevent or safeguard uh, T cell from undergoing exhaustion. <coughs> then we uh, can go on slide 39. So basically what we found is when you have late nociceptor neuron, right, uh, we, we decrease tumor growth. So nociceptor neuron are the type of neuron that secrete neuropeptide and they are the type of neuron that secretes CGRP. So then we ask ourselves, is the defect in tumor growth depend in the presence of or in the absence of CGRP? So what we did is we actually rescued CGRP level in the tumor once a day and we looked at tumor growth. And what we found is in those septa ablated mice where we rescue CGRP level, there's no defect in tumor growth and the T cell show no defect in CD8 T cell exhaustion. Sorry about that. So basically the defect in tumor growth depends in the absence of CGRP in those septa ablated mice. If we go on slide 40, what we decided to do really to drill down on the effect of CGRP is we, we went ahead and blocked specifically using an antagonist, uh, the CGRP receptor RAMP1. And what we found is when you block RAMP1, I think this was done once every two days systemically, is when you block RAMP1, we decrease tumor growth, we decrease T-cell exhaustion, and we, or we safeguard uh, CD8 T-cell exhaustion. And on slide 41, that was really the key experiment of the article and really kind of showing the relationship or the, the role of the CGRP ramp one axis in, in tumor growth, right? So what we did here is we use a RAG1 knockout mouse, so mouse that has no B and T cell, and we uh, actually injected or given or rescued, uh, or what we did is actually, sorry, we transplanted a ramp one wild type CDA T cell and ramp one knockout CDA T cell in the RAG1 knockout mice. We give the mice a tumor and we looked at tumor growth. And what we found in comparison to uh, the pink group, which received the RAMP1 CD8 T cell, uh, we found that the mouse that received the, rank, the RAMP1 knockout CD8 T cell show smaller tumor growth. In the right side of the graphic, what we did is we, uh, we were able to track, to track whether RAMP1 or wild type or RAMP1 or knockout CD8 T cell using CD45.1 and CD45.2. So in some of the mice, what we did is we actually co-injected both RAMP1 wild type and RAMP1 knockout CD8 T cell, right? And using 45.1, 45.2, we're able to parse those two types of T cell inside the same tumor. And we found that the mice that received a RAMP1 knockout CD8 T cell sh show uh, lower CD8 T cell exhaustion. After this experiment, we purified those T cell using flow cytometry and we RNA sequence them. As this is what you see uh, on the bottom of the slide, basically, is that the RAMP1 knockout CD8 T cell would uh, actually show lower expression of diverse uh, immune checkpoint uh, markers. So again, both transcriptomically and using flow cytometry, the RAMP1 knockout CD8 T cells so show uh, less uh, T cell exhaustion. So if we go on slide 42, we ask ourselves, is this only true uh, in the mouse? Is this all also true in human? So what we did is we used the, um, the Broad Institute single cell atlas, which allows you to mine, uh, you know, single cell RNA sequencing uh, data sets. And what we did is we mined those single cell RNA sequencing data set from melanoma patient. And we're, because it is single cell, we're able to parse uh, uh, the T cell in two population, basically, do they express RAMP1? Do they not express RAMP1? 
And what we found is that in melanoma patient, uh, the T cell that do express RAMP1 overexpress a lot of immune checkpoint receptor, including PD-1, TIM3, LAG3, and CTLA-4, and uh, in comparison to the RAMP1 negative T cell. So uh, our findings seems to be true also uh, in human. And then when you looked uh, on the right-hand side of this graph, basically we use Oncolink, and that allows you to basically track the survival of patient uh, whether they express high or low level of different uh, protein. And what we found is that in, in, in human that express high RAMP1, they seem to have lower survival than uh, in patient that express low RAMP1 inside of their tumor. We can skip 43 and go uh, directly to 44. And then we ask our final question, basically again using patient data. Uh, is the presence or absence of RAMP1 on T-cell would impact the, re the, the, the patient response to immune checkpoint blocker? Again, as I mentioned, we use those single cell data. We parse uh, the T-cell from the different patient, whether they are immune checkpoint resistant in red or they are immune checkpoint uh, blocker responsive. And what we found is that in uh, immune, checkpoint uh, immune checkpoint responsive uh, patient T-cell, they express lower RAMP1 level than the immune checkpoint resistant patient. And then I looked, I think we looked at about 30 something uh, different markers. And we found that RAMP1, the difference in RAMP1 expression between the resistant and the responsive uh, T cell was actually ranking third about uh, in, in all the, the 30 different markers. So it seems that RAMP1 expression or higher RAMP1 expression on, the, on, on patient T cell could be a cool marker, an interesting marker uh, to look at uh, or to indicate that those patients would be likely unresponsive to those immune checkpoint blocker. So I'll conclude with slide 45, uh, just to resume what we found. Uh, basically in the skin, uh, normal skin, you see that there's presence of diverse type of neuron, including sensory neuron. Uh, we found the presence of T-cell that are uh, likely uh, not exhausted. When there's the development of melanoma, we see that there's uh, increased tumor innervation and there's increased um, uh, T-cell exhaustion. We discovered that melanoma via the secretion of sleepy would sensitize the receptor neuron to a locally release CGRP. CGRP would act on RAMP1 receptor on, on the T-cell and that will lead to T-cell exhaustion. And what we found is that if you block uh, basically, no septic neurons function using QX314 or using Botox, or if you block uh, RAMP1 using BIBN, we're able to prevent T-cell exhaustion. So we're able to, uh, to basically safeguard the function of the cytotoxic T-cell against the tumor, and that leads to uh, basically a smaller tumor growth. <coughs> and then if we go on slide 46, I'm j just briefly... Uh, after our paper got published, or pretty much at the same time our paper got published, there was three other papers that, uh, that got published in, in another journal. Uh, and just briefly mentioning that uh, our findings seems to have been uh, replicated by other investigators. Here we see on slide 46, there was a, a nice uh, cell metabolism paper that found that uh, when you ablate nociceptor neuron, we they see also that there's smaller tumor growth, so smaller... Uh, B16F10 uh, growth inside of these mice. On slide 47, there was a paper by Nicole Sheff uh, that actually found that when you block or when you knock out CGRP, 
she discovered that in head and neck cancer, there's a smaller tumor growth and a, a higher activity of uh, the immune cells against the tumor. And finally, on slide 48, there was a very recent uh, Nature Com paper that actually found that um, another neuropeptide, not CGRP in this case, but VIP, could lead to uh, T-cell exhaustion in the context of uh, pancreatic cancer. So on the last slide, basically slide 49, this is the team. It's, it's people that did the work. So um, all my thanks to them. They, 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 they've been um, fantastic. And um, yeah, so thank you guys. And um, take any question if there's anything unclear. Well, thank you so much for this um, amazing presentation. and. Uh, for guiding us through this really interesting and, you know, a lot of work. <laughs> I think it was a lot of work. And, uh, but it's, it's really, uh, you know, you answered all the questions like it was like um, a crime. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. And so, so that's wonderful. And um, it's really interesting how you dissected out um, that the pain receptor um, or the function of pain receptor, you know, usually traditionally we thought about it will warn us that something is wrong, but it's actually contributing to something going more wrong. <laughs> yes, so, yes. <laughs> that, yeah, 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 exactly. that was really surprising uh, to me. And um, I don't know if that's something you would think about or if it would maybe not be possible to do but do you think that there's already a pre-existing uh different um i don't know gene expression or so or usage of the gene before patients have cancer in right in their neurons yeah no that's a no that's a great question so this is something i'm we're looking we're, we're trying to look into whether um say patient with, with, with higher, I don't know, let's say neuropathic pain, right? So some patient that would already be in pain is there higher prevalence of cancer or are these patients doing worse? Um, and so, on, well, unfortunately, unfortunately, we're, we're, we don't have the answer to that yet, but we're really trying to leverage bioinformatic and, um, and, and the work of others to, to try to, um, to link the two, right? So patients that already have chronic pain, whether they have more or less tumor, are they doing more or less worse? Um, unfortunately, no data on this yet, but I think I, I'm confident we'll find something interesting. And I'm saying that because <clears throat> you know how chemotherapy, right? It induces chemotherapy, you know, CIPN, chemotherapy induces uh, peripheral neuropathy. And so one of the question is, is that, is that CIPN or is the effect of chemo directly on the receptor neuron can, can negatively affect responses to chemo after, right? And we started to try this in the mouse and it seems that if you ablate the neurons, uh, the mice are more responsive to uh, the chemo. And of course they don't develop pain because we ablate no receptor neuron. So it seems to be like kind of a, um, uh, two, 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 two bird, one stone situation where um, blocking neurons can increase responsiveness to the chemo and also prevent development of pain. And so um, let, let's see what happened in, in larger population of patients, right? 
uh, whether whether chronic pain can can change um, change development of malignancy. But but at least for the for the chemo bit, which is we know it's painful, it seems to be uh, it seems to be uh, seems that neurons are actually um, are um, are bad basically for for responsiveness to chemo. Yeah, I was thinking because um, I work with, you know, um, autism like mm-hmm. mice um, and for a while and um, they have also a difference or also patients with autism have a different perception of pain. Right. Like some have more, some have less. And there's a like a confusing data out there and publications that either there's autism with less risk of having cancer like some types and other types with having more like a higher risk of cancer uh, under age of 30. so i was thinking maybe if it would if somebody would look into if that's correlated with their pain perception would be really interesting um you know data set to start with but i'm not sure if it will lead to something yeah yeah this is a cool idea yeah i did not really think about looking at autism in, in that subset of patient but that's a cool yeah that's a cool idea we should i should or we or hi or us anyone but we should look into this yeah that's a cool cool idea um so yeah thanks for pointing this out that that would be a cool cool thing to look at well thank you um and um serena dr shah denise welcome to the stage did you have questions? Please uh, unmute yourselves and just go ahead. Yeah, so thank you so much for the talk. It's fascinating. It's a little outside my area. So, um, but, I, but I got the, uh, you know, the question about, um, so the cancer cells, uh, you found the signaling was uh, slippy, but and it was sort of a follow-on question to Katerina's first. Is it, does that actually alter the expression profile of the neurons? Um, and, and to as a, you know, it's. I mean, it's fascinating to just think that the cancer cells have jacked the neurons into tricking the immune system into exhausting early as its own defense. But that the whole and your work about exposing the pathways is fantastic. But uh, yeah, it, I, I guess that's an open question, as you were alluding to, whether the actual expression profile of the neurons are altered by the cancer cells or if this is um if they're they're just uh the presence of those neurons uh just exposes that vulnerability yeah um so well i guess so so okay okay i i i uh, i i okay so we we thanks for the question and thanks for allowing me to to um rephrase i guess my, my answer so yes so when we co-culture let's say cancer cell with neuron we, we and then we we rna seek this neuron we do find that there um there's about a thousand genes i think that are differentially expressed in these neurons and then when we let's say give the cancer to the mouse and then we use a retrograde tracer right and then we trace back these neurons that are innervating the tumor, and then we do single cell RNA-seq in these neurons. We also find that there's about, I think, 500 to 1,000 genes being differentially expressed in these in these 
uh, tumor innervating neuron. And actually, this is the follow-up work that we're working on right now. We, we coined these neurons being tumor-associated uh, neuron, and they actually have a super cool expression profile uh, where they, they, they are actually completely different uh, uh, than, than naive neuron, and they overexpress <clears throat> a bunch of different neuropeptides, of course, including CGRP, but a bunch of other uh, that, that, that would or are uh, actually fascinating to study. And so now we're trying to, that's the, I guess, problem with transcriptomic, right, is to pick the right target after. Uh, but but there, there's many interesting little pathway that we're looking in these tumor-associated neurons. So basically, the, the short answer is, um, yes, transcriptomic of the neuron are changed, both in vitro and in vivo. Uh, so, so the cancer do change the transcriptome of the of the neurons. Fascinating, and I suppose is 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 it more is it generally appreciated, or is this a very different paradigm that the 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 use of neurons in the in the in this the uh, progression of cancer because the cancer cells are jacking them and right reducing the immune system. So um, I guess, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, well, it's fairly new. Uh, so, so there was the work of, uh, of um, Dr. Frenette, uh, 2013, 2017. And from, from there, there's a, there's a few super interesting paper that have been published looking at the role of, of neuron in different type of cancer, prostate, ovarian, um, head and neck, uh, melanoma. So I think it's, it's, it's definitely getting traction. Uh, glioblastoma, of course. Uh, so, so there's a there's a couple of, of fascinating paper that have been published by by uh, various investigators looking at this. Uh, but yeah, I think I think it's definitely getting traction, right? So over the past few years, uh, there's more and more people investigating that, and and you see, um, and this is really cool for us. We see in in you know. Uh, in, in, in cancer, let's say, a specialized conference, there's now a little cancer neuroscience bit included part of these conferences. The same thing for like Society for Neuroscience and FENS. There's now like little bits focusing on cancer neuroscience. So I think it's definitely gaining traction. Um, and hopefully that could lead to um, fun discovery for the, for the patients. That's amazing. Okay, I'll pass the mic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, thank you so much, Sebastian, for your wonderful talk and my question from you. And by considering the CGRP that you just mentioned uh, in your talk, and I was just wondering, because we are talking about the angiogenesis, and we know about all of those cofactors that they impact to the microenvironment, especially for the I mean, angiogenesis, uh, what you see, the role of the, for example, mast cells, and did you work on an APC and focusing on an immunotropy based on activation of the APC or optimization of the APC or not? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the question. Um, yes, so I have um, a PhD student right now looking at um, APCs in, in this very context. So whether that 
presence or absence of tumor would modulate the function of, of uh, CDC1, so that subtype of dendritic cells, right? And um, so far, it seems to show that uh, when we modulate the function of nociceptor, CDC1 seems to be more able to uptake tumor antigen, and that actually increase um, their trafficking from the tumor to the lymph node. Uh, for the mast cell specifically, we did the uh, we did the single cell of the tumor presence or absence of neurons, right? Um, we see that there's changes to the mast cell, but the changes are limited. Uh, so the transcriptome of the mast cell do not seem that affected. So 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 for now we're really focusing on 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 the APCs uh, and on NK cell as well. So we see NK cell. There's big changes. Uh, that being said, uh, crosstalk between nociceptor and mast cell um, have been studied in the skin. Uh, there, uh, Nicola Godenzio has a very nice paper in the context of um, dermatitis, which shows like very, very strong crosstalk between um, skin, nociceptor neuron, and mast cells in the context of allergy. <clears throat> yeah, especially when we are thinking about the lymphocytes and allergy pattern. Sure. And when you, you know about the pro-angiogenic factors that we're just talking about. And did you just uh, find out any matrix metalloproteins presence um, in a macro environment? Right. Um, I don't I don't think we ne I actually never I don't think we looked at it by Eliza's. Yeah, this is something what about that cationization? That's why I ask. Right? No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Um, yeah, unfortunately, no. <laughs> Good question. We never looked at. We never looked. Right? Yeah. So I guess yeah. There's that's the fun part with the project where we could look at cancer. You know, there's so much to look. Just angiogenesis per se. We never looked. Um, um, cancer-associated fibroblasts, and, and, and as you mentioned, uh, MMPs. And, and so there's, there's, I guess, many open questions for, for everyone to, uh, to look at. <laughs> for sure, thank you so much. I'm passing the mic to Dennis. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Sebastian, for this really interesting presentation. I, I was very... Um, I really like the visuals. I'm a visual person. I'm sure I'm not the only one. I was, you. you had mentioned Botox during sort of the, the end of the talk, and I wasn't really exactly sure yes. what you meant. Could you, could you recap that part? Sure, absolutely. And then I, so I actually did not show the data, but, um, but so, so we, so, but, but it, you know, it was part of the schematic, but uh, so uh, so we 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 it's it's in the in the article we also try to use Botox. So we what we did is we locally injected Botox in the skin. Then we 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 give the mice the tumor. I think it was we injected Botox on day one and day three, and then uh, two days later we give them uh, the tumor. And what we found is when you block function of neurons, but uh, we know that Botox is not only nociceptor neuron, but all types of neurons. Uh, we found that there was similar finding, right? Smaller tumor growth and less uh, immune cell exhaustion. So from the Botox data, 
then we wanted to only look at nociceptor. And this is when we use the, uh, the charge uh, lidocaine derivative. So I did not, um, unfortunately, did not show the borax data um, today, but um, yeah. That's okay. I just wonder if, uh, if, if Botox proponents will be like, see, this is amazing. It helps your, your, I know, <laughs> your, your I know. T cells. <laughs> I know, I know, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I have, um, uh, the, the, there's another investigator, which I did my postdoc with, uh, Isaac Chu at Harvard, which uh, found that when you give Botox uh, in the context of bacterial infection, um, that was also uh, basically improving or decreasing in uh, bacterial growth. So again, yeah, you're, you're, you're increasing the function of the immune system against the bacteria. So Botox seems to have uh, many, uh, may, maybe many benefits. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting, right? Like you're, you're paralyzing the muscle, but then you're increasing the cellular activity underneath it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. That's, uh, that's not exactly that. That's that's definitely something I would not have expected. Right. Yeah. 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 For sure. I mean. Uh, yeah. I mean, Botox. Yeah. In different contexts, actually, it could it could be quite interesting to look at. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I was yeah. also curious. So. How long did this take? Because there was so much information, it was so detailed, and you have ran like so many controls. Like, how long did this take? What was the staff? What was the budget? Like, so it took mean? it took uh, eight years. Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So, so six years from the first submission, and then two years of revision, and um, um, the the staff. I mean. Yeah, many, many people, many, many other labs, right? It's not just our lab. So, so many collaborators and the budget. I, I honestly, I don't want to make the total because I think I would be sad. Um, Understandable. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was, uh, yeah, definitely. So high, I would say, too high. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, so maybe uh, it's part of it's probably my first big grand pass on on that project. So close to definitely close to a million dollar, I think. Well, congratulations on that part. I have two last questions. Um, yes. How likely is it that the dynamics that you found in in mice would be identical in humans or you know substantially similar? No, that's a fantastic question um so when we looked at those database based on the database it seems to potentially be true as well in human um, and i think the next step now we're trying to leverage collaboration with companies where you know the, all these companies that have the anti-cgrp for migraine and um, we're trying to see and the problem is that the, 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 those drugs are in the market for two, three, four years. But we're trying to see whether they have any sorts of data that would show that people that take the anti-CGRP drug for migraine are the are these patients actually have less malignancy, or if some of these patients also had malignancy and took the migraine drug, are, are those patients actually doing better, right? Um, so we're, so we're, 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 chatting with a couple of companies to see if we're able to, if they are able to basically mine their, their data and see if there's 
um, some link. Uh, so hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll both show that, you know, patients that take the migrant drugs or the anti-CGRP drug, maybe if they would have malignancy, maybe they are doing better than their, um, their um, I will, not their peers, but their, um, well, like controlled or non, non-migrant drug treated patient, right? So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, the data set seems to support the idea, but I, I guess we'll, we'll need to see. Uh, one of the, one of the other aspects that would be interesting to do is to try those PDX mice where you, um, you take tumor from patient and put it in humanized mice, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and see if we're able to replicate our, our data. So that's the next, um, that's our next big step. Right on. Well, uh, definitely good luck to you on that last step. And so because we were talking about, you know, the the main part of this was about immune system and measuring those markers. I was just curious if you had any speculation about what these findings might mean for COVID patients, like chronic COVID patients primarily, not so much the acute ones. Yeah. Um, so half of my lab is actually working in, on lung inflammation, and uh, we 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 try to block a lung neuron from these uh, ACE2 mice, and then we give them the COVID. Um, and unfortunately, actually, we found that when you block lung nociceptor, the mice were doing worse. Um, so yeah, but as whether, whether or not it would impact, let's say long COVID, this, this remain, I, I, so there was, there was a few article that looked at the possibility using, let's say, um, bioinformatic, and it seems that it would be potentially interesting, but the work we did in the mouse, at least in our end, right, it did not seems to be, um, supporting the 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 idea that that blocking of scepter would 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 improve uh you know the immune system response against covid unfortunately well i mean it's it's it, it would be great if it was better news but at least we have the data right right so we're we're trying to put put this together we're trying to publish those um you know negative data let's see uh, how that goes right for sure all right. Thank you so much for, for you. everything, you. your time. Um, I guess I'll pass the mic back to Katarina. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, do you still have time for two more um, questions yes. from two people? Thank you. <coughs> so, uh, Brooks, uh, welcome. Did, did you want to ask a question? Oh, yeah. It's very interesting. So, um, Sebastian, I don't know anything about you because you don't have a profile created, so I'm just thinking that it's new. It makes yeah. it easier um, once you do create that profile for people to come up on stage and not have to ask you, oh, okay, what's your background? Where'd you study? What'd you do? Are sure. you an experimental scientist? Well, if you, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we did the introduction with like where uh, Dr. Talbot went to school and everything. If you, if you, yeah, but this is up in the chat. Yeah, but we have, uh, you know, every time yeah, this we invite is, this is actual scientists, so we invite actual scientists. If you want to 
scroll up I'm, and not, I'm not a scientist i'm a physicist okay, I and just, i work in the experimental field so i was just asking him if he was just like me just uh, from a different platform or discipline. yeah so well i which is one of the cool parts today uh, i was not really familiar with clubhouse so this is this is great it's fun fun first well, experience so i'll definitely um add the profile i was actually uh yeah, so I downloaded the app and whatnot today. But um, so yeah, to quickly answer your question, uh, I'm I'm a PhD. I'm trained uh, as pharmacology and neuroscience. So not not physician, but yeah. Do you work in the experimental field? Uh, yep. Good, good. Yeah, um, me too. I'm an experimental physicist. And uh, before Clubhouse became what it became, it actually was closed. And it used to be just nothing but intellectual conversations. It was professors from all different disciplines mm -hmm. and universities. It was nice. Now it's about like just a lot of people. So welcome. And I'm sorry it took so long for you to get here. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> so can I ask you what what X is your scope that you use? Can you repeat that? Sorry. So the magnification of the scopes that you use? For... Uh... Data collection. Well, um, Brooks, if you want to look up the paper, as I said in the chat, I shared the lab website of Dr. Talbot and also the paper and then the method section, you would find that answer. Um, but if you have a question about the talk, so just to let you know, here in Science Society, we always invite the scientists that actually do the research of uh, published peer-reviewed papers to present their work. So if you come here, you can, um, you know, verify and um, expect that it's the actual scientists that did the work that are here presenting. And if you want to look that up, um, you know, it will be really easy to find it in the methods. Katerina, are you a member of the Quantum Photonics Club? Uh, no, I'm not. Okay, good. Um, uh, yeah, okay, so the question, the, so I, yeah, I studied um, neuroscience yeah, sorry, deeply, sorry. and um, so you're saying that there's a certain neuron that detects cancer, and it's something that must have just been evolved just recently um, to detect something that's problematic. It's a, it's a problem for our society, but... It's actually, have you ever heard of, um, what was it? That, it was Helicobacter pylori and mm -hmm. how it, it causes cancer to subside because of temperature indifference. Have you tried using that in a Petri? No, I, no. Okay, so, so H. pylori and temperature. No, I was not aware of that actually. Yeah, it causes um, it causes cancers and tumors in soft tissue to dissolve and go into remission. Huh. Well, that's super interesting. Yeah, I'll definitely need to look into this. I'm um, fortunately not familiar with this work, but you see why all our paths are supposed to cross at the right time. That's what Clubhouse does. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll look. I'll look into this. Uh, thanks for um, pointing this out. Of course. Thanks for taking the time to listen to me. Enjoy the Thank day. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one.
Okay, thank you so much. Uh, but in general, um, Helicobacter pylori and uses gastric cancer and it's a high risk factor and so on. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, we have to confirm that. So, um, yeah, but, um, well, Sebastian, thank you so much. Um, let me just check really quick the chat again if um, somebody um, asked more questions, but so far I think no. So this was such an interesting discussion and your work is really um, amazing. I'm really curious to follow uh, what your lab does uh, in the future. Um, so I'm curious to uh, learn more. And um, maybe, you know, one day in a year or so, you'll come back and, um, and share some more with us. Uh, it's really interesting. And I wish you love. a lot of funding. Yeah, <laughs> thank <out> you. Luck. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Thanks to everyone being here, and um, um, maybe uh, just just close. If if there's we're lo we're looking for grad and postdocs, so if anyone's interested or if you want to share in your network, um, you know, feel free to uh, feel free to reach out. We're so we have um, position opens. So yeah, yeah. You sent me if you want to send me like a. Uh, a job post I can share. Definitely, uh, I'm working. Post. I'm working on the job post, but I'll definitely send it to you, Katarina. Yeah. If you can post it on Clubhouse, that would be great. Yeah, here and on Twitter, and I'll share it with uh, my um, community, like the where the my PhD, like it was GABA. It's from Portugal, like it used to be organized, yeah. but there are people maybe also looking for jobs. Um, for sure. And yeah, great. I Fantastic. wish you that you get amazing, <laughs> great people. <laughs> can sometimes go both sides. But oh no, yeah, usually, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> usually it should be good, but <laughs> okay. Then All right, guys. Good well, luck. Have a yeah, great day. Yeah. Thank you so much again. This was really thank wonderful. Thank you, thank you, guys. Cheers. Bye, bye. Thank you. Okay, and if you like discussions like this, follow the club. Um, and uh, we'll have um, more presentations in the future. Uh, check out the schedule. Uh, we'll have doc next Dr. Ningobor talking about high-resolution imaging of gene folding, like the new ways of how the genes are folding and um, how we uh, can image that in more detail. I think that's really interesting work so um, I hope to hear you all back soon and thank you Sebastian thank you everyone for coming asking questions this makes the discussion so much more interesting if more people participate so thank you so much okay Absolutely. cheers cheers I close the room in three two one bye everyone thank you bye bye, -bye.